This is a Radio 1 91FM podcast. It's history time. Come on, tell your friends. We'll visit New Zealand's ancient lands with Jamie the host and Dr. Valetta Gillibit the historian. Our fun will never end because it's history time. Yes, it is history time here on the 1 Radio 1 91FM. It's Thursday, it's 9 o'clock. Not the usual time, but it's a time nevertheless. Uh, and I'm joined now from Auckland in level 3 lockdown by Dr. Um, Violetta Gillibit. Uh, good morning. Good morning, Jamie. How are we today up there in, in lockdown? Oh, we are doing okay. We're doing okay. We're hoping it's going to end soon, but yeah, we're holding up. Yeah, yeah, because you want to go to check out your workplace. Now that you're, I sure do. Yeah, yeah, now that yes. you're working in big old fancy University of Auckland. Well, yes. I mean, my colleagues all seem very nice and welcoming. I'm looking forward to meeting them. <laughs> <laughs> Right, we, but first, history time, the more important thing, of course. Uh, and today we're going to talk about uh, a key, with, I guess, you know, in a lot of ways, lost to history. Um, you know, not, you know, I don't hear much about her, but um, kind of came back a little bit, um, uh, came to prominence again uh, during the 80s uh, and the early 90s with the AIDS crisis. Um, Mm -hmm. We're talking about Eddie Rout, um, Tasmanian-born Kiwi, war hero, safe sex advocate and feminist. Um, The most wicked woman in Britain. Who was she? Especially, we'll say, who was she pre-war? Previously to being the most wicked woman in Britain. Yeah. (laughs) Well, uh, interestingly, she was also called the Angel of the Anzacs by by certain other commentators. So she's a bit of an enigma, is she? Um, she was certainly not well liked in New Zealand during her time, uh-huh. and uh, we can kind of understand why when we take a closer look at her work. But she was idolised by the French and the Americans. She was uh, quite an innovator, a bit of a revolutionary. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, I mean, shall we start from the beginning? Yes, let's start from the beginning. I don't know. Uh, well, eighteen seventy-seven, she was born. So I mean, uh, pretty early, pretty early on, and. She was around like uh, the early 20th century, 1902 um, onwards, that she was kind of an adult and she was becoming known in New Zealand. Um, I can read off a, a little scree of her um, her attributes. Uh, not only was she a feminist, she was also a socialist, uh-huh. a rationalist or an atheist, um, a stress reformer, a vegetarian, Ooh. a cyclist. Ooh, a cyclist. <laughs> A lady cyclist, yes, scandalous, and most prominently a uh, sex educator. Yes. Um, and she, she was a good half century, if not more, ahead of her time, or rather New Zealand was somewhat behind. Um, and she was well aware of that herself. Um, she wrote to a friend of hers, H.G. Wells, in 1922, that it is a mixed blessing to be born too soon. And that was the H.G. Wells, of course, uh, War of the Worlds author. Yes. Whatnot. So she had, a, she had a really interesting kind of global life. Um, New Zealand, and to a lesser extent, Aussie soldiers knew her because she ran campaigns in Egypt during the Great War. Um, she was also, at the time, researching the question of safe sex kits. Yes. And putting a kit together specifically designed to meet the needs of soldiers who were um, on the front and what have you. Um, more interestingly, she was also known for running a social and sexual welfare service in Paris, which included a supervised brothel where she would uh, perform regular health checks, um, wow. meet soldiers at the train station and take them on down and introduce them to the madame. And, uh, yeah, so contraception was used. And, uh, yeah, this was around the uh, 1918, so yeah. <laughs> extremely early. 
Yeah, really, really early. Um, you know, I mean, I think um, there were some people, kind, you know, she wasn't the first, really, but she was um, definitely one of the most prominent, I guess, when it comes to uh, uh, people fighting that cause. Um from what I gather as well, quite early on, um, with that socialist side of her, she was quite mm. quite the radical, and she started one of our one of our first, if not our first, um, newspapers for um, workers. Correct. Nineteen ten, she set up the Māori Land Worker. Yeah. Um, interestingly, in collaboration with the New Zealand Shearers Union, and she was an honorary member of that union. Wow. She edited the <laughs> she edited the magazine free of charge. Um, she was unfortunately booted off the, um, the committee a little bit shortly after um, the Shearers Union joined the Federation of Labour in 1911 and, and the newspaper was taken over. But um, really notable, I mean, she would have been the only, if not one of the very few women joined, <laughs> members of the Shearers Union yeah. um, back in 1910. Um, but I suppose she did uh, kind of fit into masculine spaces very well of her own accord. I mean, aside from being a very strong character... Um, she was tall. She was uh, quite robust physically. She was uh, known for wearing short skirts uh, in order to ride a bicycle, of course. Yes, yes. Um, but she'd pair them with men's boots and uh, sometimes trousers, which she went to a men's tailor to have made for her. So um, she was kind of, uh, you know, not quite the typical woman, uh, you should say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, had mm. she uh, been born 10 years earlier, she would have been on the front lines of Kate Shepard. Well, that's a that's a really interesting point, actually. Um, perhaps, but also perhaps not. Um, she alienated quite well, you know, uh, just by sticking to her values. Um, she was quite a bit too modern for the old school suffragists. Yeah. Um, especially with her approach to sexuality. Um, True. Because restraining vice was one of the main objectives of the early suffragists. You know, they were Christians. They were respectable married women. Mm-hmm. And their demands were fairly radical um, in the context of their own times. You know, they wanted rights within marriage, they wanted to be safe within their own homes, and they wanted to vote. Whereas Effie um, had some more ambitious goals. Uh, with her feminism, she believed that divorce should be more accessible. Uh, she also um, had just a, a variety of others, um, especially surrounding sexuality, that um, disease prevention should come before chastity and although she believed chastity was desirable um, in practice and especially in the context of a global war uh, she believed that you know precautions needed to be taken um, to prevent disease from spreading as well how much of a problem um, oh sorry oh no no um, (laughs) I was just going to say how much of a problem were ECIs during World War One Quite, uh, quite acute a problem, actually. So, if he originally um, arrived quite early on uh, in 1915, I believe, she started, oh no, in 1916, uh, the New Zealand Volunteer Sisterhood. So, she mm-hmm. took a number of other bold uh, women from Australia and New Zealand over with her to run campaigns. Uh, so, her original purpose wasn't actually to, um, to get involved in the issue of treating and preventing STIs, but she realised um, how widespread the venereal disease problem was. And so, hence her interest uh, turned to keeping these men healthier. Um, I don't have any statistics necessarily, but if she was able to kind of note a venereal disease problem without presumably inspecting any men or what have you, then it must have been fairly apparent. Yeah, yeah. I I saw some stat in the three-month period, like 80,000 troops or something, uh, which seems to be a lot. Um, (laughs) 
Yeah, but I mean, even even going there, going originally to Egypt, um, that was um, seen by her peers back here, like her socialist peers, uh, 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 by a lot of them, as a, a wrong thing as well, right? The socialist agenda in Aotearoa was pretty much, you know, that's worker fighting worker, and we don't want that. Correct, absolutely. So she she was a very independent-minded person. She did not mind going against the grain of her opponents or her supporters. Um, and, you know, that, that worked out well and not so well for her. I mean, the whole being lost to history was a um, very intentional thing from the outset. You know, um, war regulations banned any mention of her name in uh, the New Zealand media yeah. and uh, brought a possible £100 fine. <laughs> After one of her, so one of her letters suggesting uh, kits and hygienic brothels had been published by the New Zealand Times, hence the uh, war regulations provision of fining anybody for mentioning her name. Ironically, though, that letter was instrumental in the decision of James Allen, the Defence Minister's uh, decision to approve kit issues. So the government actually adopted and started issuing her um, prophylactic kits, as they were called. They basically included condoms. Um, other chemicals and ointments to prevent uh, transmission to service lubrication and what have you. Yeah. The government the state adopted these kits and started issuing them to soldiers during the First World War without crediting her whatsoever. Yeah, that's right. That's right. She got zero, zero credit for that. Uh, but people knew. The French knew. They decorated her. <laughs> they sure did. She got a reconnaissance <laughs> Francaise uh, medal to reward her work. Um, and so, yeah, they, they were running a Red Cross depot, and especially, um, you know, the, the innovation she made in terms of preventing STIs. Um, by the French and the Americans, they respected her very highly. Yeah. Uh, and tellingly, of course, uh, the British hated her. That was um, the wickedest woman uh, in Britain. That was a quote from a person speaking at the House of Lords, a parliamentarian. So, New Zealand and uh, Britain broadly were against her, yeah. and the more modern American and French liked her quite a lot. Well, that's it, right? I mean, the, at the time, we were very proper. I'm trying mm-hmm. to be, we, especially in Aotearoa, we're trying to be very English, um, and the Americans were moving away from trying to be English. Uh, they had, you know, the, um, well, for, for, for a long time, the War of Independence was... Mm. Uh, a couple hundred years before, well, 150 years before that. Uh, and then, um, but the French, of course, it's the French. What, what else do you need to say? Uh, <laughs> 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 um, okay, so, I mean, what ha- after the war, she moved to Britain. She didn't really she come. Did. Yeah, yeah. And um, she wrote books, and um, those books, uh, her big one was called Safe Marriage. Tell us a little bit yeah. about that. Safe Marriage, uh, A Return to Sanity was the subtitle. Really? Um, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Which is really telling, you know, um, her somewhat radical approach of Return to Sanity. And it basically explains uh, how to uh, prevent disease transmission, also how to uh, use contraception, um, and generally uh, how to maintain sexual hygiene uh, in an intimate context with marriage, of course, not yes. outside of marriage, but still even publishing on married sexuality in the early 20th century was extremely taboo. Yeah. She was um, married twice, yeah? What's that, sorry? She was married twice or just the once? I believe she was just married once to her former uh, physical culture coach, um, Fred Hornibrook, 
there was a New Zealander as well. He ended up working in Britain too. So they kind of reunited in uh, 1920. But he'd been attending a physical culture school of his um, in New Zealand prior to the war. He actually, um, there's a great quote from him, this while likening her physique to Venus de Milo. Um, but what he in, intended by that, presumably, um, was to was um, referring to her natural form, i.e., she did not wear a corset, and she was very healthy. Uh-huh. Um, so, nonetheless, yes, uh, they certainly bonded during that time and married after the war. He was a well-known uh, physiotherapist, and aside from safe sex, uh, uh, safe marriage, she also read a couple of other things: um, a vegetarian cookbook. <laughs> wow. A Another book called Sex and Exercise, which I believe um, yes. promoted uh, pelvic floor exercises for women. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so extremely, extremely modern, you know, new mothers um, needing to repair some of the muscles down there. And she was onto that too. Uh, and she also wrote a very dubious book uh, called Māori Symbolism, which was very inaccurate um, and which extols Māori as eugenicists. As in ah, she got into eugenics. Oh, We have spoken in the past about how closely uh, left-wing politics and uh, problematic ideas like yes. eugenics and racism could coincide very closely back in the day, and without embarrassment as well. Hetty um, was very forthright about her eugenic beliefs. Um, interestingly... A lot of her work, as revolutionary as it was, was done for some fairly ugly reasons. Um, she was essentially, especially against syphilis, um, she was attempting to prevent the birth of disabled uh, people. <laughs> and, uh, well, as she, as it was known, um, moral and physical degenerates. So she subscribed to um, eugenic theory very strongly. and. On that basis, did some very good and revolutionary work. But her motives, uh, yeah, as you know, uh, historical folk are rather complicated. They and are. Was no exception. <laughs> but I'm really gutted about that. I like. I like. I really enjoyed this woman until. Well, you know, still great, but that's uh, a big blight. Um, yeah, the safe marriage and the um, sex and exercise thing, because that was um, not just about safe sex, but good sex, wasn't it? Yes. Well, she uh, was rather. On that basis, I mean, again, the revolutionary and uh, conservative and problematic. So, yeah, she was about um, love and uh, intimacy and enjoyment, um, ideally within the confines of marriage, but without it also. Um, She didn't believe that um, lifelong matrimony was necessary to uh, a good human life, to a moral life, and um, for breeding purposes as well, she uh, didn't subscribe to marriage. She felt that women should be able to choose both her uh, breeding partners, as she described them, um, without the confines of kind of Christian morality. Um, and so presumably sexual enjoyment and uh, personal interest would factor into those choices. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, so she has had some very modern attitudes towards that. Um, she and her husband um, never had any, any offspring of their own. Um, so, you know, uh, you can presume that they were just uh, doing their marriage, enjoying themselves, and, uh, you know, getting on with their work. She was an extremely hard worker, and uh, unfortunately she died a very early death um, yes. at the age of 39 yes. in the 30s. So she didn't see a lot of um, the measures she advocated ever come to fruition. It would be a long time. I mean, you know, family planning clinics 
um, STI clinics, yeah. vegetarian cookbooks and what have you, are fairly common and fairly accepted in New Zealand nowadays, but... Yeah, unfortunately, she never lived to see it. Yes, um, she died in 1936 in, in, the, in the Cook Islands, I believed, um, after coming back to New Zealand for the first time post-war uh, and, and living in Britain and then coming back to New Zealand and being um, rather, you know, hated uh, in both mm-hmm. of those places um, would have put a lot of pressure on her and she died of an overdose. Yes, she sure did. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, one can read into that as much as one might like. Um, interestingly, um, Lady Stout, uh, so Robert Stout's um, partner, uh, who was the champion of uh, the suffrage cause in New Zealand and later took that cause to Britain, spoke up very strongly against Effie even being allowed back in the country. What? Um, yeah, so, I mean, that just goes to show, you know, how bifurcated uh, the feminist movement was between that um, traditional, respectable elements and uh, the more radical uh which Effie certainly represented. I mean, she was beyond radical. Um, she was a complete paradigm breaker. Folk really struggled to understand her and why she did what she did. But yeah. um, a lot of the material that came uh, came into her biography later, Jane Tolleton has written a really amazing study of her life. Um, uh, of course, you can imagine a lot of that press is extremely negative and extremely morally charged. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of her own writings were quite um, kind of... Uh, Work served as self-publicity um, to kind of work against that and also to promote her own ideas. Um, so really, a lot of the material for a more accurate study of what she was like and what she did came from soldiers' memoirs. And that's how Jane Tolleton gathered most of her material, was by talking to World War One soldiers who had met her in Egypt and in Paris yeah. um, and kind of stitching together a picture of her life on that basis. But yeah, there was certainly a lot of material around which painted a very different picture of what she was like. Um, yeah, there's a, I, I watched a little mini doco on her called um, Piney Woman Itty uh, Route, which is on uh, YouTube if anyone wants to go check it out. It's got a young Carl Urban in it. Um, so that would be like uh, around the 1980s? That, yeah, 83. Yeah. Oh, I've got, I've got a fact about this, this documentary. So it was aired in the 80s, right, on television. Yeah. But the stigma even stuck there because that episode about Effie aired an hour later than the rest of the episodes for that series on television. Oh, adults only. <laughs> yes, well, <laughs> I mean, you know, the, even in the 80s, um, you know, single mothers had only just become a thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it was, you know, uh, folk were still kind of adjusting to the whole sexual revolution and what have you. It just goes to show, uh, yet again, how far ahead of her time Effie was. Yes, indeed, indeed. All right, um, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, talking about Etty Rout, um, the war hero, safe sex advocate, feminist, socialist, radical, and believer in eugenics, which is... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it truly is uh, unfortunate how much eugenics there is in our history, but it did a, a bit of good as well as a lot of bad. Um, yeah. we can, Let's take that as, as it comes. But yeah, thanks so much for having me, Jamie, and um, I look forward to joining you again uh, by distance. Yes, yes, next yeah. week we'll be talking about other uh, interesting historical things uh, from Aotearoa. Um, yeah, thank you so much, my friend. We'll talk again soon. Kia ora. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Radio 191 FM podcast. All of our content lives online at r1.co.nz.